Well, if you have a Bible, uh, you can go and open it to Jonah chapter 4. Uh, Jonah 4, as, as we finish this morning, a series that we've been doing the past month or so, uh, looking at the uncommon compassion and grace of God, which is really what this book of Jonah is all about. Uh, Jonah is a prophet who God sends with a message of grace to the bullies of the ancient world, to the city of Nineveh, a city that has harassed and intimidated Jonah, a city that not long after all of this will will destroy Israel, will enslave its people, will, will absolutely brutalize them. Which is why Jonah replies to God, not a chance. And in fact, he's been spending the last three chapters running from God. Running from God who, who never stops pursuing him. Because God's real agenda in this whole book is not just to win the hearts of Nineveh, but to win Jonah's, to win mine, and to win yours with his uncommon compassion and grace. Because as we've been seeing, God is in, is in wild pursuit in the gospel of everyone from the terrorists of the ancient world to a Bible-toting believer like Jonah to you and me in this room this morning with his uncommon love. And this makes Jonah one of, if not the most important books of the Bible that we could read today. You see, we we are in in a culture right now that is fractured, that's polarized, that says we need to isolate ourselves from people that are different from us, We need to reduce them to a caricature. We need to diminish them to their worst moments. We need to to label them as what's wrong with the world. And yet, at the same time, we're told that in this fractured, polarized, divided culture, if we want to thrive, we need things like smarts, savvy, hustle, self-promotion, social capital, Compassion and grace? Still waiting for the book to come out on that one. Only here it is. The book of Jonah that blesses our fractured culture, our fractured families, maybe even the parts of this church that are fractured, with the uncommon compassion and grace of God that actually gives us a way forward in Jesus Christ. And so follow as, as I read this morning, Jonah 4. And I'm actually going to start in chapter 3, verse 10, for a little context. 3.10 says, When God saw what Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said to you when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. 
I knew. You are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Now Jonah had had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made for himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to this city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and, and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose up, God provided a a scorching wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And in fact, said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plants? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant. You didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Yet should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Uh, Several years ago, some uh, people in Europe did a study, and they found out that the average four-year-old asks 390 questions a day. (laughs) Yes. Now, based off of my kid's sleep schedule, that is a question every two waking minutes, which, if you are a parent of toddlers or have spent any amount of time around a toddler, there are plenty of times where that actually probably feels like it's on the low end. The, The study found out, though, that adults, on the other hand, actually ask far fewer questions than toddlers, which is really a shame, because there's a unique power from a well-asked question. They catch us off guard in the best way possible. They peer into what's below the surface and they create connection. Well, Jonah is a book that ends with a question. A question that doesn't get answered. A question that God asks Jonah. And yet by the time God's done asking it, Jonah's disappeared. And we realize he's really asking the question to us. What's the question? Will you limit 
God's love? Will you put it into a box? Will you put any sort of restrictions around it? Around who gets it and who doesn't? And to help us answer this question, we need to look at three things in this passage. Three things that will help us answer God's question to us today. What we say, what God sees, and what Jesus solves. So first, what we say. Um, When I was single, years before I met Becca, I was living in an apartment with some other guys, and uh, one day, I'm brushing my teeth, and I hear from the wall behind me, Now, it sounded like either a large raccoon or the neighbor's cat had managed to wedge itself in between our shower wall. It turned out, upon further review, four pigeons were stuck in between our shower walls. So we call the maintenance people. They come, they fish the pigeons out until a week later when there's more birds in our shower wall. And so they come again, they fish the birds out until a week later when there's still more birds in the wall. And finally, I say to them, you know, hey, we can keep having you guys fish birds out of the wall every week. It's actually kind of fun to watch. But how do we get to the root of the issue? Well, Jonah 4 is taking us to the root of the issue. Jonah has just preached, as Craig showed us last week, the, to the toughest crowd of his life and got the greatest response of his life. By all standards, his career is getting set to take off, and Jonah is furious. Jonah preached God's grace to Nineveh, and it took. In fact, he is watching as they have the biggest revival that Jonah will ever see his entire life. And in verse 1, it literally says in the Hebrew, but this to Jonah was a great evil. And so Jonah starts to argue with God. He prays in verse 2, Isn't this what I said when I was still home? This is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew, I I knew it. You are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew you wouldn't judge them. I knew you wouldn't go through with it. Now what Jonah's doing, he's actually quoting God's words back to himself. Jonah's quoting here from, from Exodus 34. Now, just before it, God's people had gone off the rails. They created an idol. They started bowing down to it, worshiping it. And God says, now I'm going to wipe you all out. But in the end, he doesn't. He relents. God doesn't go through with it. And then he declares to Moses in Exodus 34, That he has relented because God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. It was the creed of the Old Testament. 
and Jonah flips it around here into an accusation. Jonah takes that verse about God not following through a judgment, but being compassionate to his people. Jonah, for the first and the only time in the whole Old Testament, takes that verse and applies it specifically to non-Israelites. As if to say, God, I, I knew this is what you were like all along. I knew I couldn't put your uncommon love into a box just for us and not other people, but I can't live with that. You see, Jonah, Jonah is living off of a gospel that is way too small. In fact, it's not even big enough for Jonah. Jonah is asking God for a world of discriminating grace. A world where the right people get it and the wrong people don't, which means nobody gets it. Not even Jonah. And yet, I am not that different. And my thinking is that maybe you're not so different either. You know, it can be so much easier to, like Jonah, assume that God is more with us than he is with the people we think are against us. It can be so much easier to, like Jonah, think that the the best thing for our lives is if different people or difficult people just weren't a part of it anymore. It is so much easier to, like Jonah, get stuck in our us and them grids and never be able to move past it. You know, the the professor and author Jonathan Haidt says self-righteousness, this this person, he's not a Christian, self-righteousness is the normal human condition. And I know that's true of me. You know, we are all like Jonah. Somewhere we, we all, we all say what he says. And the good news is what God says back to him. In verse 4, God asks Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, I am convinced that this may be the most surprising verse in the entire book. Jonah has essentially just slapped God in the face. He's essentially told him, your grace is weak. It is your weakness. And God doesn't look at him and say, you know what? I'm done. I am through with you, Jonah. Go have fun, your own little life. Be miserable all by yourself. No, he doesn't do that, and and he doesn't do what we would expect him to do in the story, what some of us probably expect him to do in our lives. If a storm didn't work and a giant fish didn't work, I mean, God's got a lot of other options. A plague on your whole family? You know, what, what do I have to do, Jonah, to get through to you? How far do I have to keep ratcheting things up until you finally listen? No, God asks a question. A really good question. You're angry. Why? 
You see, this is the gentle grace of God who's not condescending but has a conversation with Jonah who doesn't stand toe-to-toe to him but sits down face-to-face with his son Jonah who responds to his self-righteousness with a gentleness that doesn't avoid the truth but tells it with a soft touch because God is not out to obliterate Jonah, but to capture Jonah's heart with God's love for him. It's the same that is true to us in our self-righteousness, that in the gospel, God will never limit his grace to you, but actually responds to us with a gentleness we never could have seen coming. So what we say, second what God sees. So in verse 5, Jonah has, he has preached his way through the city. He's on the other side of Nineveh, and he sits down now to, it says, see what will happen. And Jonah's probably thinking, you know, okay, these people have repented, but no, nope, not buying it. I, I know people like them. This is not going to stick. And so I'm going to sit around here and wait for the doom and destruction to finally come when, when God gets some sense about himself and lights this place on fire. Uh, it's hot. It's, it's really hot. It is Florida hot there. And so Jonah, uh, as I'm often reminded of that I need to do with a growing bald spot on the top of my head, he doesn't have a roof, which is a problem. And so God makes a big leafy plant rapidly grow to protect Jonah from the sun. After all of that, God is still caring for Jonah. God is still saving Jonah. This tiny plant is actually a window into the massive heart of God for his prophet into the concern God has for his temper-tantruming servant who for the first time in the whole book cracks a smile. See, Jonah loves this plant. He is ecstatic about this plant. He delights in this plant. I mean, you can almost envision him out there with kind of the big gardening hat on, and he's got like a spray bottle and the clippers, and he's tending it, and he's keeping everything just perfect in this plant. And then in verse 7, God kills it. The sun comes up, God sends a scorching wind, and Jonah says, now I really want to die. And God asks him the question that he has been asking him really the whole book. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? Is it right for me to save you and not the Ninevites? Is it right for me to be gracious to some people and to not others? And Jonah says, yes. Because Jonah can't see what God sees. You know, sometimes my kids like to steal my glasses 
and uh, put them on and walk around the house with them. And, uh, and when they do, it is, it is adorable and cute, and I take pictures that I save and look at my phone for, for hours on end afterwards. But in that, in that moment that they do, they are getting to see the world in that moment the way that their father sees it. Well, God's reply here to Jonah is letting Jonah see the world the way his father sees it. To view Nineveh and himself through the lens of God's uncommon compassion and grace. God says, you're concerned about a plant that you didn't make. That was here and gone in a day. Shouldn't I be even more concerned then about this city? God is telling, telling Jonah, your vision is all out of whack. You, you have a spiritual astigmatism, Jonah. You don't see them like I see them. See, what Jonah really has been wanting this entire book is a God who will sound more like Jonah's Apple News feed or cable news outlet than the God of the Bible. You know, cable news, it pays the bills by reducing people to their worst moments, by diminishing them to a one-dimensional caricature. And we eat it up. And what Jonah gets instead, though, is the God of the Bible who has concern for Nineveh who lets the sin of the city weigh on him, who emotionally suffers for their wrongdoing, who says, Jonah, you don't get it. They don't know their right from their left. Meaning, while what they are doing isn't right, and read the book of Nahum, they will get judgment for it, They are blind. They are clueless about it. God's saying, Jonah, I am weeping over this city. Why aren't you? And you know, we all have somebody like that. We all have a Nineveh. We all have people who have hurt us, who have wronged us in real ways. And some of us are sitting on the outskirts of their life, watching and waiting for it to all fall apart. Or we all have people who are different than us, who are difficult to us, that like Jonah, we couldn't, we couldn't imagine being in the same tribe with. We couldn't imagine being a part of the same church as, as enjoying genuine connection with them. I mean, I have people on my list who have, they have been there for years. You know, who in your life or your family or this church do you think God doesn't have the right to be slow to anger over? You know, what our culture desperately needs isn't more savvy or smarts or self-promotion. What we need is to be able to see each other the way God does. And that will only happen as we start to see ourselves the way God sees us. 
Because you see, we don't just do this with other people. We all have moments in our lives where we reduce ourselves to our worst moments, where we diminish ourselves to a one-dimensional caricature. And what we need in those moments is to see ourselves the way God sees us, who in the gospel is always moving toward you with compassion, who is always keeping the full picture of your life and your story in view, even if nobody else is, who sees you through the eyes of his uncommon love that Hebrews says has empathy for your brokenness. So what we say, what God sees, lastly, what Jesus solves. So Jonah is a book that ends with a question, a question that doesn't get answered, a question that God asked to Jonah, only by the time God's done asking it, Jonah has exited stage left, and we realize God's asking the question to us. So how will we answer it? How are you going to answer it today? Well, we actually can't, just yet. You see, there's a problem with this question. In fact, there's a problem with this whole book. Chapter 3, verse 10, says that when God saw the repentance of Nineveh, he relented. He stopped from sending them destruction. But how can God do that? You know, in the, in the whole drama of the story with the storm and the fish and the, and the city, it can almost kind of get lost in the shuffle. How can God relent? How can a holy God not burn to the ground an evil city for all their injustice? In fact, today's passage begs that question more than any other. Jonah quotes to God, Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. H have you ever read on to what comes after that? Here's what it says next. And he will not let the guilty go unpunished. Now, how does that work? God is saying he's entirely compassionate and yet entirely committed to punishing sin. How can he be both? It's a problem in Exodus 34. It's a problem in Jonah. In fact, it's the problem through the whole Old Testament. It's a problem that will never get resolved. Until centuries later, when another prophet, Jesus, like Jonah, comes to a city against God, Jerusalem, where he will suffer greater injustice at their hands than Jonah ever did from Nineveh. Where he will be treated by them even worse than the Assyrians would ever treat Israel. And Jesus doesn't look down on them with disdain, but knowing full well what they're about to do to him, moved with compassion, wept over them. Who, unlike Jonah, 
didn't go outside the city hoping to see somebody else's condemnation, but on Good Friday, went outside the city to endure our condemnation. Who didn't look down on a sinful humanity and say, God, annihilate them, but said, God, annihilate me instead. Who dying on the cross saw his killers through the eyes of his father and said, forgive them. They don't know their right from their left. Jesus, who is the weeping God of Jonah for in flesh and blood, comes to die and solve the problem of Nineveh and us. Because it's on the cross that the sword of God's justice came down on Jesus and not us. That in those agonizing hours that his beloved son hung there, God was punishing our sins in Jesus. He was quenching his need for perfect justice over all our wrongdoings in his son. So that now, as the apostle Paul says in Romans, God can be perfectly just and scandalously gracious. And what compelled God to do all of this was his uncommon compassion for Nineveh, for Jonah, for you, and for me. A compassion that, that wouldn't let God simply sit in heaven feeling bad for us, but, but moved him to act. Because the cross is not only the measure of the size of our sin, but it is also the measure of your worth to God. That the cross was God insisting to the world, you are significant to him. That like Nineveh, he has concern for you. He has compassion for you. He looks down and weeps over you. And it's when you see God in Jesus solving the problem of Jonah, of the Bible, of all of history, it's then that you'll begin to be able to answer his question to you today when you will be able to start sharing his concern for the Ninevehs in your life. Because it's as we look into the cross that the uncommon compassion and grace of God melts our self-righteousness. You see, when we look into the cross, we realize that there is somebody else looking back at us. God who sees down into the bottom of who we are, who knows our worst moments, who knows the parts of us we most want to hide from ourselves and everyone else. And as we look into the cross, we start to realize the question isn't just how can God forgive Nineveh, but how can he forgive me? And yet, as we look into the cross, we also realize that this God is seeing us, seeing you through the eyes of his uncommon love, is holding for you a concern in Jesus where your grief makes him grieve, where your pain brings him pain, where your suffering makes him suffer, where your sin 
makes him weep. We discover a God that says, like Nineveh, you have a significance to me you could never earn, meaning it's one that I will never let you lose. And when you see that, when you see God's uncommon compassion and grace for your neighbors and for you, it's then that we will be able to see the world as Jesus sees it and share the concern for our world that Jesus has for it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Jonah and we thank you for your uncommon compassion and grace that it shows us. Father, we are, we are not so different from this man Jonah, and that is good news, because you are pursuing him with your uncommon love, and you are pursuing us with your uncommon love in Jesus, where we are self-righteous, melt our hearts by helping us see ourselves as you see us in the gospel, so that we can see people in our lives, as you see them too. Amen.